welcome to the First Boss Scottish Football Podcast with me, your host, Callum Fisher. It's uh, getting a bit like an episode of Have I Got News For You with all these different hosts, um, but you've got me this week. Um, it's episode 221, uh, and joining me we've got a bit of a, a commandment contingent, a Kelly Cartel, if you will. Uh, first up, I've got Mr Callum Scott. Callum, how you doing? How you doing, Fisher? Delighted to, to be back, and fair play to you for stepping up and taking hosting duties and listen it's not just a Kilmarnock uh, bias podcast here we all know that both Kilmarnock and Rangers are both strongly linked with each other so it's just it's just a total Buenos uh, podcast for us a day a pretty, pretty staunch one I think it's, uh, it's an Ayrshire affiliation if you like mate um, <laughs> joining us I suppose by, by way of Kilmarnock although based across the pond we've got Andrew McGregor or uh, also known as the Snowman Andrew or Snowman not entirely sure what you prefer to be called mate but how are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for finally having me on. It's great to be here. No, it's good. It's uh, it's nice to, to have you on. You're kind of the, the, the Andy Halliday of the podcast, if you will. Long-term fan, finally stepped up to make your, your, make your debut. <laughs> How much you'll appreciate that comparison, I don't know, but... Uh, We'll, uh, we'll, we'll move on. Anyway, um, talking of Andy Halliday, see, I'm getting into this hosting thing already with they kind of links, boys. Uh, <laughs> the, the pod, I suppose, we're going to touch on the Europa League and then a bit of a preview for you listeners um, about the weekend's action. So we'll start um, in Villarreal last night where Rangers drew two each. Uh, a game where Rangers had to come from behind twice. Uh, first, after 45 seconds, Carlos Baca scored a, a fantastic goal. Um, and then a really well-worked uh, Rangers goal uh, resulted um, in a Scott Arfield, and a nice tidy finish from Scott Arfield. And then Rangers went behind uh, immediately after uh, through Gerard Moreno with a nice uh, left-footed finish into the bottom corner. Um, and then Rangers um, equalised again through Kyle Lafferty after a well-worked goal. But we'll get to all of that. Um, guys, you both said that you saw uh, most of this game, uh, I believe. What were your thoughts uh, on, on the game uh, and the performance of Rangers um, throughout throughout the 90 minutes? Snowman could take that one to, to start us off. It was kind of a weird one in a lot of ways because when you look at it, it's an amazing result. You know, it's probably the hardest game they're going to have. But when watching the game, it didn't seem that Rangers were all that impressive. You know, when I remember literally went to make a cup of tea and turned around and, you know, Villarreal had scored. And you thought, oh, here we go. But, um, you know, it's Rangers, a lot of credit for fighting back and getting the result, but it just seemed like they could have been blown away a few points during the game. But it's hard to deny it's not a really amazing result. Yeah, I mean, see, this is I, I watched the game with with my two brothers last night. We're all we're all Rangers fans, and maybe it is just the uh, the blue tinted specs, if you will. Um, I obviously I could see that we were under kind of great deals of pressure throughout the game at points, but I never felt, and this is the way I described it to a guy at work today. Um, seeing the the old firm game a couple of weeks back when Celtic had all that pressure, you know, you kind of felt that the goal the goal was coming or you felt you feared a bit of a doing I never really feared a doing last night I always thought when we got the ball after we'd settled down after the first 15-20 minutes um, I thought we actually we, we did play quite well and um, and I thought just midway through the first half I, I turned to my brothers and I said you know if we play our game we can hurt them here we can get in behind them um, VRL obviously spent about 70 million in the summer but, but I did think um, you know we we rode our luck at times, absolutely no doubt about it. But I thought we did we did look threatening, I and mean, we showed that when we went forward. To be fair, um, Casey, how did how did you see the game? 
to be honest, uh, not to be kind of cliche here and just reiterating mm. what you guys are both saying, but basically a mix of what you guys were saying. I mean, I've seen a lot better Rangers teams mm-hmm. struggle in Europe. No, no, a lot better Rangers performances in Europe. No, get the, those kind of results. Because mm. uh, obviously, I mean, Villarreal were uh, they, they missed that cracking chance to get two 0 up, and then Rangers got the part equalised. So it could have, it could have went differently. But fair play to Rangers, and I totally agree. Once they get the ball in and started passing it, they did, and they looked comfortable. Um, and that nah, is, I mean, for a start, I mean, what a result it is for Scottish football. I mean, we've got to, we've got to really praise that. I mean, for Rangers to go there and to be to go down twice and come back is is absolutely phenomenal away from home. But Gerard he'll be happy I mean he'll be more than happy he'll be delighted I just I think that at times I can definitely see what the snowman was saying I think Rangers rode their luck a bit but you're right he was got it if you're playing against that kind of classy opposition you need it you need to rub with the green a bit and I mean fair play to Rangers and let's say I'm just, I'm just delighted for a cracking result for Scottish football yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't disagree that we rode our luck. I, I think, I just, I mean, we heard that a lot in the commentary uh, with, with McCoyst and Rob McLean as well, you know, that Rangers were lucky to escape a battering and things like that. And I, although I, I, I could I, I could see with Villarreal, um, obviously they had their chances, but I never thought we were we looked like we were losing that game, you know, 4 or 5 nil. No, definitely. See, see, considering the way the game started with that goal after 45 seconds, you're thinking... Here we go, but aye, a phenomenal goal, which we're just about to come on to. But but Mm -hmm. with that, uh, I mean, after that spell, as you say, no, even 15 20 for me, after after 5 10 when Rangers just settled, it it never, I agree with you, it never ever looked like it could have been, you know what I mean, uh, shooting in for for Villarreal. I I thought Rangers grew into the game, considering the way it started, they grew into the game well, and evidently, I mean, coming away with that draw, but. We just kind of spoke about obviously the first goal there with Baka. It was an unbelievable finish. But as a Rangers man, Fisher, do you think MD's at fault for it? Um, it's a difficult one because you're 45 seconds into a game. Um, we, you know, we lost possession. Obviously, the ball comes forward. <laughs> you could say the two centre halves are, are too close to each other in that position. But at the same time, you're 45 seconds into the game. Do you know what I mean? It takes a couple of minutes for things to settle down properly. It takes an unfortunate hit off uh, Joe Worrell and comes back to Carlos Backer, who, as we said, it's a fantastic finish. So I, I, I was never... I've heard folk talk about McGregor as well off his line, but again, early in the game, when because we lose the ball so quickly in the lead-up to the goal, um, you know, and you'll see it. It's one thing I notice a lot about McGregor. McGregor tends to stand uh, rather far out when mm-hmm. we've got the ball. Um so I didn't. I wasn't watching that going. Oh, you know, Joe annoyed at Warrell or Goldson or McGregor. It was just kind of like, oh, for fuck's sake, that's a that's a great finish. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I never. I, I don't know what your your two opinions are on on the goal, but I I wasn't really looking at it, and I haven't watched it back. I, I I haven't looked at it and gone, oh, he should be doing this better and things like that. I just think it's way too early to be you know, to be having a go at players there. I, I think it was just an unfortunate hit off him and it's led to led it into the path of Carlos Backer. No, definitely. I mean, f- for me, football, no, not to sound like your dad here or anything, but I mean, <laughs> it gets, it gets over-analyzed so many times. Um, and you, like, for a goal like that, it's, for me, it's just got to be appreciated. I think it's just, it's a phenomenal finish. 
you can argue, oh, is McGregor too far off his line? But you're not expecting the shot for there. You're not expecting the break no. of the ball. Put it this way, if, if McGregor was on his line and they get the break of the ball and ran forward, they'd be criticised for not being off his line quick enough, you know exactly. what I mean? So, the, the way it goes, I do think the guy Warrell, he's unlucky, but mm. maybe it's just the way my first impressions of him. But I thought he kind of, I thought it looked a bit of a weak link throughout the game, so I don't think that kind of helped him. Obviously, was that his debut as well, Fish? Aye, that was his his first game. He's uh, not even like he's not came off the bench or anything. Yet. Aye, so thrown right in at the deep end against against yep. a, a team like that. It's always got to be difficult. But as I say, you can totally overanalyze it. But for I mean, looking at it, it's just an absolute wonderful finish, and he can't he can't hit it better. I'd have to agree with Callum yeah. there. It was. When I was watching it, it's like, oh, that's a great goal. You weren't looking at the defenders saying, oh, that was a nightmare there. It was. It just looked like a good goal. It was a crack and finish. Um, but like going back to what I was saying earlier on, like I think the reason you think it's more, it could have been a hammer is like 15 minutes after that goal, then 15 minutes at the beginning of the second half, you could definitely think the Rangers could have been like four and nothing behind. And all it seemed like Villarreal could kind of step up. And that's not to take away from how you know what a great result it was for Rangers. And I would say that they kind of settled down towards the end of the first half and then the middle of the mm-hmm. second half as well but you know it, it was just one of those games you kind of expected Villarreal to keep on stepping up kind of like when you when the second goal uh, when Rangers equalised and it scored straight away again mm-hmm. it kind of remind me of Celtic and Brendan Rodgers first season yeah I, I think um, certainly when Moreno scores that goal looking at it you're going well we've, we've Put a lot of energy and a lot of effort into into getting equaliser, and that's just sapped all the momentum out of us. But I think, that, and this is the thing that continues to impress me um, with this with Gerard's Rangers team, and it, it kind of comes back to what you were saying um, there uh, about uh, towards the end of the first half and then going into the second half. I think at half time we came out and we just decided uh, Gerard's, I think, and he's, he's reiterated this again. Um, in the press conference today, he, he wants the players to believe in themselves more. Yeah. And I think it was a case of after half time, I think he's probably told them we can hurt them. You know, I, I think he's probably seen what the fans have seen. Obviously, he's seen that we can hurt them, um, and he's told them to go out play our normal game, and we can, and you know, we get our rewards for that. Um, but just going back to what I was going to say initially, the thing that's impressed me is the fact that this Rangers team doesn't give up. Um, and it would have been very easy to, you know, the first half we didn't play particularly well, but we grew into it. It would have been easy to come out in the second half, try and keep it tight, try and nick it, you know, try and frustrate Villarreal and, and then on the counter. Whereas actually we came out, we tried to play our own game, yeah, and, and we got the goal. And then for them to go up and equalise in such um, quick fashion, it'd have been even easier for us to kind of again just go, oh, well, it's not our night and things like that. But we kept pushing on. Um, and we did, as I say, it's great to see from a Rangers supporters' perspective. It's finally a team that seems to want to fight, that seems to never know when they're beaten, um, and just will keep going and keep going. And I think you're already seeing um, a team in the mould of what Gerard was like as a player. You know, he just he keeps going. There's a there's belief there. The belief's grown within the team, but Gerard was always a player that had, I think, tremendous belief in his own ability. Um, and you would often see with Liverpool where he would be the kind of the catalyst for trying to pull them through games. I mean, the ultimate example of that is in Istanbul in 2005. So I think you're starting to see that rub off in this Rangers team in terms of there is a determination and there is a belief there that they can go out and they can hurt teams. 
Um, so I, that's what I was really, really impressed by. Um, what I, else I was impressed by as well, um, I'm not too sure how much you two guys will have seen of him, um, but Glenn Middleton coming on um, for the Lafferty goal as well. Uh, he plays a great ball for Barisic, who plays a, neat, a really good ball into Lafferty's path. Um, what did both of you think of, of Glenn Middleton's introduction uh, last night? I would assume this is probably the most that either of you have seen. I know he came on in the Old Firm game, but he didn't, he didn't really see much of the ball. See, I've seen flashes of him, and he looks like a like it just. It's hard to describe because I think he's he's an excellent wee player. I mean, he's very kind of janky, you know what I mean? Kind of, and and I think that he looks like he's got. Who was it you signed him from again? Was it was it yeah. Middlesbrough or something? Like Norwich. That? Norwich. Um, Norwich. But no, I, I really like him. Um, he's and I, 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 it's hard to kind of put together because I mean I've only seen him in flashes and obviously yesterday he it, it was phenomenal when he came on and I just mm. I think obviously coming out wide but I, I think he would actually quite suit playing behind the striker as well see in a kind of number 10 role as well um, the wing getting out but no I really like the look of him and he, he looked very very good when he came on yesterday yeah I only ever really saw him like you say a bit of the old firm game but it was a great ball for the second goal for Lafferty's goal yesterday but he definitely looked useful, and Rangers seemed to be, have a bit more inventiveness about them when he came on. But I think that was more just to do with the fact that they were trying to, you know, they would have been a bit more clever on the ball at that point, but he definitely looked very useful. It'd be interesting to see how he does going forward in the league games. What have the Rangers fans made him so far, Cal? I think everybody's really excited uh, about him, to be honest. You know, he's a, by all accounts, he has a, he's a Rangers fan um, as well. He's done really well at Scotland for youth level. Um, and just while saying we got him for Norwich in January um, and looking in their forums and whatever at the time, they seemed quite disappointed to be losing him. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is, again, when you get a manager like Steven Gerrard that's con- consistently praising him, telling everybody how good a player is, how good his attitude is, it's, it's difficult not to get excited. Um, and in the glimpses we've shown, uh, sorry, but in the glimpses that he has shown that we've seen him in, uh, he's he's looked really good. He's really direct. He beats players. He, it's something mm-hmm. that we don't really have a lot of in our team. Ryan Kent is kind of like that, um, but Glenn Middleton's more just out and out rapid, basically. Yeah. Um, he's just he's absolutely flying. So he has he can not he knocks the ball past players and he just goes as you say he runs past them as if they weren't there to use a cliche. Um, so I I think you know we are. Rangers fans are really really excited about him and to be honest I wouldn't be too surprised to see him start on Sunday if he doesn't start on um, Sunday against St Johnston I definitely think he'll start midweek against Air United Do you see many I mean I know this is maybe a bit of a bizarre one here uh, do you see many parallels between him and Barry McKay when Barry McKay was his best at Rangers? Um, I think Again, Middleton's just a bit more direct with the ball. Yeah. Barry Mackay is very, I don't know how to describe it, he's very uh, in and out Mackay. You know, he'll, he'll kind of get past players and things like that. Whereas Middleton does, he just picks the ball up and just, it's like that, he just goes past players. Um, I think his, his delivery as well, Middleton's delivery looks to be better. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, and by all accounts as well, his attitude's a wee bit better. Um, so I think we've got. I don't. You know. You don't want to talk up a young player up too much because I think Rangers fans have been guilty of that recently. Um, although I think to be fair, the praise of, of Barry McKay and then probably it was. I'd imagine uh, Lewis McLeod before him. I think was was justified. I think uh-huh. good players. Um, but I'm really excited about Middleton um, at the moment. 
Excellent. See, see for me, just uh, getting back to it when we're just talking about kind of Rangers in an overall sense, mm-hmm. the big thing that sticks out for me is they've already answered questions that were posed them at the start of the season. Remember when obviously Rangers had that excellent kind of defensive uh, start to the season and that they yeah. didn't concede a goal for the first three games or whatever. But then people are questioning that, oh, but what would happen if they went a goal behind? Yesterday mm-hmm. they just answered, <laughs> absolutely knocked that out of the park. I mean, to get in, I know we're just kind of repeating what I said there, but to get in uh, twice to a team like Villarreal and come back, as you said, just shows the the belief, character, mentality. The full team is is absolutely brilliant. But I just I just wanted to get that point across there because earlier on in the season a lot of people are questioning how Rangers would react to going a golden because of the, the way they started the season, like defensively sound, but. Um, Obviously, get on, Fisher. Where do you think Rangers will, will finish in the group? Um, that was a question I was just about to ask you a lot. We're doing like a co-hosting <laughs> job here. I, I'm enjoying it. Uh, it takes a bit of the heat off me. Um, I, I always said, I said as soon as the draw was made, this is a group we can be competitive in. Um, and I just I had a feeling leading up to last night that we would get something. Um, obviously, it's Rapid Vienna up next for us, who beat Sparta at Moscow last night. <laughs> I don't know where we'll finish, but uh, again, uh, I'll throw it back to, to the guy I was talking to in my work earlier. Uh, I said to him, you know, we can beat we we can beat that Villarreal team at Ibrox, I believe. Um, but in the meantime, we've got Rapid Vienna and then Sparta at Moscow as our two next games at Ibrox, um, and I'm confident we can beat. I honestly think we can beat anybody in this group at Ibrox. Um, we just need to, if we play how we can play, then I'll get a lot. This is the most belief I've probably had in the Rangers team since Walter Smith. Um, so, I don't I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but we'll probably win the group with maximum points. <laughs> no, do do uh, you think, though, let's see, um, how, see when you, you play these guys, Rapid Vienna, Spartak, Villarreal at home, mm-hmm. Do you take the game to them at Ibrox, or do you have to be a bit more conservative, or do you honestly think you can actually? I, I, I'm not. I'm not saying hey four two four or whatever. I'm saying like, mm-hmm. can you? Is it your job to take the game, or do you still think it's a counter attacking job at home to these these teams? Because it's it's a tough, tough, tough group. Uh, see, the thing is, even in in or domestically, when we've taken the game to what you would call lesser teams, we've still remained fairly motherwell apart. We've still remained really solid at the back. Um, so I think it's just... I, I, the thing that's... And this is one of the things that won me over quite early on with Steven Gerrard. It was one of his first interviews where he, he was he was making the point about how successful teams, first of all, need to be strong at the back. And I don't think anyone can deny at the moment that Rangers, save one or two instances, and as I say, that Motherwell game, look solid at the back. So I think we've got a good platform in terms of our defensive structure, and I think we've got. I would have the argument out with anybody that wants to argue with me that we've got the best goalkeeper in the country and goals as well. No, I don't um, agree with that. I would too. So yeah, so I, I think we've got a good base whereby if and I'm confident that we'll be solid enough at Ibrox whereby then when we get the ball we can take the game two teams. I'm not talking about like out and out attacking teams, but. If we that we've got defensively, we've got a good enough structure, and even defending from the forward line when we've got Morelos back through in the midfield, 
um, into the into the defence. I think we're solid enough whereby them when we turn over possession that we can hurt teams. Um, and as I say, I think that showed last night uh, against Villarreal away from home. We were fairly solid at the back. We got the ball. We settled into the game into the second half and we hurt them. So I think you'll see. I don't think we'll quite as be as quite as defensive at Ibrox. I think we'll have more of the ball at Ibrox against all three of the teams. But. Um, I think we definitely do have it within us to go and hurt these teams, definitely. And you need to remember as well, last night um, we were without Jack uh, and Ajaria in the middle of the park. Um, we've got obviously Dorans was just coming back for his first game of the season. Um, Morelos suspended, Flanagan suspended, uh, Katic is sitting on the bench, McCrory came on, um, Gresda as well is on the bench. Um, and you have to remember also Jamie Murphy's out for the season obviously he'll play no part but it's just it shows you the depth that we've got now in the team so you know we've got more than enough I think to give the to be competitive in this group as the manager said they need to take it one game at a time um, but I'm confident I'm, I'm feeling good about this Rangers team I'm feeling good about us domestically and I'm definitely feeling good about us going forward in this group Fisher it's funny you say there about the Strength and depth. Uh, name dropping here. I was I was out playing with footballer. Uh, I was out playing snooker there with uh, the Fairmont player and friend they showed Robbie Muirhead there, and that was one of the things that that he brought up. Cause I asked him, cause I said I was going out to do the podcast. Anything you would like to kind of, what's your thoughts? Any kind of questions? And then he, that was what he asked. He said, "How do you think Rangers will cope? We obviously their first year back in Europe, gone." Uh, they got the strength and depth in the squad to do to do Thursday Sunday. I mean, we know Celtic can. Celtic have done it for the last three or four years anyway. So it's interesting mm. that you say how um, the, the recruitment in the squad depth is there at Rangers. Yeah, well, I mean, we've already shown. I mean, Warrell coming in last night for Katic was obviously it was only one player, but it was squad rotation out with obviously the suspensions. It was that was squad rotation, um, and I think we'll probably see two or three changes um, for Sunday as well so he seems to so Gerard seems to be getting the squad rotation spot on you know I don't think there's visibly anyway any players that seem to be upset or annoyed with dropping in and out of the team um, obviously you've kind of got McGregor um, <coughs> McGregor excuse me McGregor Goldson Morelos obviously now that he's he's not going to be suspended um, and Jack Prawley and Koulibaly seem to be the kind of the core group of players, but the rest of them um, tend to kind of drop in and out. So I think we do. It's it's going to be difficult, and I'm not expecting us to go from Thursday night games to blowing teams away at the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely think we've got the players. And we, the, the important thing is now, even with somebody like Andy Halliday coming in, who I, I think I said in the chat, I probably have to issue an on-air apology to him quite soon because being genuinely honest, I was quite prepared to be done with Andy Halliday as a Rangers player but <laughs> Gerard coming in is he's even given a guy like Andy Halliday confidence whereas now when he comes into the squad it's not a case of for the support oh god it's Andy Halliday it's oh it's Andy Halliday's actually earned him, earned the right to be there um, and he's stepping up and he's playing well there's not a player within that squad uh, the first team squad in a minute that could come in and Port would be like I'm not 100% sure about that well maybe with Marcedic to be fair I'll give him that but um, apart from apart from that, every player coming in, you know, the fans are quite happy and are quite, um, they, you know, there's a there's an element of trust with the manager's decisions uh, with with squad rotation as well. I've got to say that I, I was one of these people at the beginning of the season didn't think Gerard would be up to much. I thought the just Rangers would just replace what you know one youth team manager for another one, but he's definitely 
impressed me. And one of the things I've kind of thought when you see the European games and some of the other games that they played in is very much remind me of Walter Smith, uh, Walter Smith's teams. And when you were talking about earlier on about how would they play at home, I could definitely see them being very solid at the back the way Walter Smith's teams always used to be. They could soak up the pressure and then just hit on the break. So and I I don't know how they'll get along though the the you know the Saturday to Thursday or the Sunday to Thursday games because I think even you see down in England some of these teams with the massive squads still struggle with it. And I think Celtic are going to struggle with it this year as well, um, and I think a lot of the teams have strengthened round about them as well. So I think it depends again who they're going to play. Like Celtic have got us this weekend, so I don't think that'll be an easy game for them. But I'd expect um, Rangers uh, to win at the weekend. So I I do think Rangers have improved a lot. And it's definitely good to see them bringing in some decent players. Although I do miss uh, the Cashinia years of him, you know, shouting at supporters <laughs> in a bush and stuff like that. You know, it was definitely much part of the banter years. But um, I remember uh, some people saying that the banter years would end last year. But I definitely think uh, it could be the beginning of the end for the banter years now. You know, Gerald definitely seems to have them on the right path. Yeah, I hope so. I've, I've been through enough. Um... No, it's, I, what you've said there actually, Andrew, I, um, about Walter Smith, a lot of people on the kind of forums and on Twitter and that were saying uh, with, the, with the qualification rounds, it was very much away from home, it was very Walter Smith-esque, solidly, uh, solid defensively, um, a good structure and the team knew what they were doing, so I definitely um, agree with that point. It's just moving forward then, guys, so what we'll do is we'll tie um, the... Rangers and then when we go on to talk about Celtic we'll tie the weekend games um, into the back end of, of talking about the Europa League games um, so how do we see it going on Sunday then Rangers at home uh, at Ibrox to St Johnston who to be fair this season have started to kind of get back to the St Johnston that we knew previously um, so how do you see that going on Sunday guys? Well f- to start with um, good of you to pick up on that that St Johnston actually have had a decent start to the season because Right, the very first game when we beat them, a lot of people were asking questions because, I mean, it was the first time, obviously, it was, it was great for a Kawarnock point of view, seeing teams like that coming and sitting in at Rugby mm-hmm. Park and hoping for a draw was good for us. But there was really some severely worrying signs. That first game, uh, St. Johnson went right back five, like a flat five, no wing back, it's just a flat five, and isolated Tony Watt up front. Now they're bringing these guys into it, they've changed their philosophy a bit and they're getting Matty Kennedy on the ball and these guys are supplying Tony Watt and and he's scoring goals so I think that it'll be a decent game on Sunday Uh, again just looking because I know just kind of spoke about how Rangers would cope Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday uh, for the next three months but um, I, I, I can see St Johnson t- taking a wee bit of advantage. I don't, I don't, I don't think that no St Johnson has got to go there and win or win comfortably. Um, but it's certainly, certainly a very tough game for Rangers. Um, but as you spoke about there, Callum, obviously how strong they are throughout Rangers. So they've got guys that can come in, guys that didn't need to play last night could could go in and certainly do a job against them. But. I'm not saying that, obviously I talked about the kind of attacking emphasis for St Johnson, I'm not saying they've got to do that at Ibrox, they've of course got to be a bit more conservative, but I hope they don't play the way at Ibrox as they did against us at the start of the season, because if if they do what they've been doing, but just a wee bit tighter at their back, then they'll definitely, definitely cause Rangers problems on Sunday. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that, I think that Rangers will probably win it by an odd goal, but St Johnson can definitely hurt teams, 
and kind of going back to what Callum said in the first game of the season, St. Johnson set up as if we're playing Barcelona or something like that. It was it was just nuts to see because I was actually at the Snowman, game. they were playing Barcelona. Come on. Well, you know, Jordan Jones was like Messi that day in the second half. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it was just crazy to see them. I was sitting there watching the game, going, St. Johnson are really, really bad. You know, it was they just sat in the entire game, and I think they've done a good job in sports scene of showing how isolated Watt was. The ball got punted up to him. He couldn't really control it, and then we got back in uh, possession straight away. But I think Rangers, like you said, they can bring in a couple of other players now. Um, Doran's will likely come back in for the weekends as well. Um, I'd imagine Morellas will be back as well. So yep. I'd, I, th- I can see Rangers winning it, but I think it won't be like 2 or 3 nothing. I think it'll be like 2-1 or 1-0 or something like that. Yeah, we've also, just as you touched on there, um, with Morelos, Dorans obviously will probably, I would imagine, feature. I don't think he'll start, but I think he'll come on at some point. Also, Ajaria uh, will be back, um, and I believe Ryan Jack has got a decent chance of being involved as well. So, from a Rangers perspective, that's quite good. Um, yeah, I guess just to round off this bit on, on Rangers, we're talking about the St Johnston game, I would agree. I don't think it's going to be as straightforward as the Dundee game was. Uh, last week I certainly think St John's still offer more going forward as you were saying Cal uh, Matty Kennedy's been, been coming into it a bit more for St Johnston since that first game of the season uh, Tony Watt has probably been St Johnston's best player um, so far this season he will be a threat although I'm confident and I would imagine Katic it'll be Goldson and Katic um, on Sunday should be able to deal with him I think St Johnston will probably score but I think I can see us maybe winning 3-1 or something like that. I'm I'd say confident uh, in the manager and in the team to go out and get the result. And at the end of the day, um, we've got a good run of games. Uh, we said this. This was the thing amongst Rangers fans after the old firm game. Uh, we've got a good run of games now to get to get some consistency and build some momentum in the league. And if we want to do anything in the league this season, we know with the greatest of respect to St Johnston Rangers, need to be beating St Johnston at Ibrox. So. Um, from my perspective, fingers crossed that we get the result um, on Sunday, but I'm sure it'll be a, a highly competitive game. St Johnston uh, never make it easy for us really anywhere, um, with Timber Park or Ibrox. Um, so certainly myself looking forward to, to getting back on to Ibrox for that one. Uh, moving on then to the, the other Scottish team in Europa League action. Uh, Celtic, of course, beat Rosenberg 1-0 uh, last night. Lee Griffiths coming on um, and scoring relatively late on. I'm not sure exactly what minute it was, but it was fairly close to the end. Um, uh, 87. Aye, something, I knew it was something like that. Um so guys from what you saw this game what was your thoughts I don't think any of us saw the full 90, the 90 minutes in full but I think we all pretty much saw the, the majority of it what was your thoughts on it uh, well I, I seen the, the full 90 uh, oh did you uh, I, it was the Rangers game I, I, uh, ah, I, right, I, in between work I, I missed the last uh, 15 minutes of the Rangers game um, but the Celtic one word to describe it flat Absolutely, it was just they were so <sighs> running out of ideas. Um, I'm trying not to be negative because in the end it's a brilliant result. In the day they get the win at Parkhead, so it's as a, that's what they're there to do. Some no got to try and be too negative towards Celtic because they've done their job, but I've not got to lie. And this has obviously got to come back and bite me nurse here, <laughs> but I'm not <laughs> got to lie when I was watching it. I was rubbing my hands saying, bring on Sunday, bring bring on Sunday, because I, I really seen, I can, I can see us 
doing Celtic a lot of damage inside I know come on to it later but yesterday I didn't know Stuart Finley would be injured so, so maybe maybe not but uh, I just I don't know Edward for me isn't he he's not cutting it at the moment he's anonymous up front He's one of my mates hit the hit the nail on the head in regards to Edward. He's saying far too often he's looking for the cutback all the time. He's never just getting into the box. He's never he's never going into the six yard box. How many times yesterday did we see Tierney whip balls in for the left hand side that were just in the world they were cracking balls just to be everybody to lead them because Edward's always looking for the cutback opposed to just attacking the back post area and stuff and. And it said that all oh, Griffiths comes on, scores a goal, you know, an absolutely different class, and for me, Celtic's best striker. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. When I was watching the Celtic game yesterday, I was bored to tears, and I was yeah. kind of, I was like calm. I was like, oh, if Celtic play like this against us, you know, I think we could nick it, and especially if they play Edward up front. And I agree with that. He's not really the same kind of striker. And you, I remember at the beginning of the season, uh, looked like he was going to play three five two with Dembele and Edward up front, and they looked like they'd be on fire together. But obviously they got injured and then they sold Dembele and it doesn't seem to want to play Edward and Griffiths together. So if that's the case, you're only going to play one, I think you'd have to play Griffiths. But, you know, mm-hmm. you can do that next week after, you know, after they play Kamarok. But, but, <laughs> but, but like, it's a lot of Celtic performances, like, not just this season, probably this calendar year have been a lot like that. And, like, the first year and a half they played there, Celtic always used to find a way. Even when, like, there were, you know, teams used to struggle, like, do we pie press them all the time or... We can find a way around that. Do we just sit back and soak up pressure and try and attack and break? But Celtic always found a way around that. But now they seem to have like tightened up a bit at the back. They can't seem to score goals. And you just watched them the other day, and it was you know there was no zip to the passing. It was all a bit, a bit ponderous. Um, I was like calm, saying, licking your lips, thinking, okay, hopefully you know they play like this against Kamarnock. But the thing with Celtic is they can always seem to step it up. Um, you saw that against the Old Firm game and I remember last year uh, against Aberdeen as well when they were at Ponders in the games before that and then humped them 3 nothing. Um, so I'm obviously a bit wary that Celtic can just up their game at any point but going back to it, at the end of the day they got the win Griffiths came on and got the goal and it, you know it's an amazing result and I think someone said this is the first time they've won their opening game in a European tournament uh, ever or something like that so Oof. at the end of the day it's a great, great result for them and probably helps as well that you know, I think uh, was it RB Salzburg beat Leipzig yesterday as well. So they kind of getting that three mm-hmm. points in the bag, which is probably going to be the easiest game they're going to play in this uh, tournament. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, our own uh, Andrew Gamble was at the game. He was saying there was a lot of people around screaming for Griffiths to come on about fifty minutes. I must admit, um, go back to the guy in my work. Uh, he's getting a good mention tonight. <laughs> as uh, uh, as Ryan, hi if you're listening. Uh, he's a Celtic fan. He's he goes to all the games as well. Um, he was saying very much the same. You know, folk were, were desperate for Griffiths to come on. He his point was quite interesting. He said he feels as though um, they're kind of flair players. You know. Sinclair, uh, was it Mikey Johnson that came on last night? He's not really sure whether it's a lack of confidence or whether Rodgers is telling them to do this, but every time they get the ball, remember when Sinclair obviously first came to Celtic, he was very, very direct with the ball. It was unstoppable um, that first season. Aye. Um, so what he says, he's not, you know, it always seems to be um, they'll kind of get the ball, but they'll turn back inside and play the kind of easier pass. And in the middle, there's not a lot of players running. Miss um, Armstrong. And things like that. Yeah, well, I mean, any any team would miss a player of that as much as it pains me to say what I'm about to say. Any team would miss a player of that quality. You know, Stuart Armstrong's a cracking player, um, to, to be honest. And as well, obviously, with Dembele going, um, 
But in Celtic perspective, uh, Tierney was good, Boyata and Benkovic impressive. Boyata, I believe it's the last since obviously the whole saga. Um, his, was he going, was he staying? Um, he, I think it's five clean sheets in five for Celtic. Um, and apparently by all accounts Boyata was, was, was pretty good from what I saw anyway, he was, he was solid um, for Celtic last night, obviously as you were saying uh, Andrew, a big result for Celtic in the grand scheme of things same question that Casey uh, posed to me about Rangers um, a wee while ago, where do we see Celtic finishing in this group, um, Chris Sutton was saying that um, he believed that Celtic can win the group I think he was saying um, albeit that was it, that was it, nil nil, and he said Celtic would have had to to get the win, which obviously they, they eventually did last night. So where do we see them finishing, guys? Well, for them to win the group, they've got to get their act together. I know it sounds like I'm just stating the obvious here, but last night was obviously I'm not it Celtic fan, but it, it, was, it was it was shocking to watch at times. It was just as I said, side to side in. Snowman makes a brilliant point about Armstrong, right? Because what I don't get, and again, not to sound like your dad here, I'm not saying, oh, 4 4 2 or whatever, right? But see, if the base of Celtic's attack is getting the ball to Tierney and Tierney getting balls in the box, right? Because all it is is side to side, side to side, side to side. As you said, Sinclair, Mikey Johnson, and that, they're not running out players and they're not putting the balls in the box. They're passing the ball back in until Tierney gets space in the left and then it's something that puts the ball in the box, right? What's the point in firing balls into the box for one striker, Edward, who's always looking for the cutback all the time anyway? I mean, if you've got to cross balls into the box all the time, you've surely got to have two in there. Well, obviously more than two players, but you know what I mean? Two two main targets to hit. How many goals did Stuart Armstrong score for Celtic for being that... As well, talk about the cliche, the, the late midfielder running into the box late. I mean, how many goals did he score for that with Celtic? Totally missing that. Brown, excellent at what he does. Um, breaks up play, moves it on. But Rogic hasn't been on it so far this season. Um, in, I, in, in, in Cham, or Cham, whatever, sits all the time as well. So he's no one to... To get into the box and stuff, uh, they're severely missing that kind of box to box midfielder, which I think Malumbu can be for them if and when he gets his, um, his start, which of course has got to be Sunday uh, against us. <laughs> but um, but no, I think that Celtic, again, similar to what you were saying, Callum Eller, about Rangers, I think, of course, at Celtic Park, if they lose at Celtic Park in this group, it's got to be a shock, to be fair. Um, but the big thing for Celtic's always been their away form in, in Europe and that's always been the case and can I see Celtic got a, a Germany and beating Leipzig I don't know uh, obviously playing uh, RB Salzburg as well so in Rosenberg away from home I think they'll do the business over Rosenberg can I see them beating Leipzig away or Salzburg for that matter so I don't know I hope they can qualify but I definitely don't think they'll win the group I cannot see them winning the group yeah, I think I don't. It like Calm said, if they get this act together, uh, which seems a bit hard because it looks like they're missing a couple of players. Um, I think losing John McGinn, losing Armstrong, and then not getting John McGinn, and uh, just I think yeah. it's not like for like. But McGinn's definitely one of these guys who can control the ball and just drive up the pitch with it, and they don't have anyone like that. Seems to be at the moment. Um, so I don't know. I think if Celtic get their act together, I can definitely see them winning most of the games at home beating Rosenberg away and then if they get a couple of draws to the two RB teams and maybe second place I could see them qualifying but I don't know if this seems to be the toughest stretch of Brendan Rodgers Celtic time 
So it'd be if he can actually sort this out, then it would be quite impressive. But at the moment, they just seem to be struggling uh, a bit. But again, they won, so it's kind of washes away a lot of sins, really. <clears throat> yeah. Well, I mean, it's that it's 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 kind of like a game to game basis for Celtic at the minute. You know, one game they're in crisis, the next minute everything's great again, and then yeah. the next game there's doubt. So on the on the topic of that, and I'll set this up, and then I'll go and put the kettle on because I feel like uh, you two might have more than enough to say about this one. <laughs> um, Celtic obviously going to Rugby Park um, at the weekend um, on Sunday lunchtime. Again, I think we were all great minds think alike and all that. I was watching the Celtic game and I kind of thought to myself, I, I forgot who they were playing. No disrespect, boys. Uh, on Sunday, <laughs> I looked up and I went, Rugby Park, Sunday, Kilmarnock, you know. Um, coming off the back of a Hibs game where obviously they felt, and we'll talk about this as well they felt um, hard done by um, which kind of ties into Steve Clark's comments uh, today um, where he was saying that referees have decided three of the four uh, three of the five excuse me uh, premiership games they've been involved in and to be fair to him um, he did he kind of tied that into the fact that obviously they, that kind of helped them win up at Pataudry yeah. Um, as well so um, I'll sit back put my feet up uh, and you guys can take the lead uh, and you can give me a shout uh, when you're done <laughs> uh, cheers for that Calum I think uh, I think me and the snowman will definitely uh, get into great great depths of all things Kilmarnock but to to start with just to carry on for what I'm sa- I was saying I think that we will compete with Celtic on Sunday Big news today though is that Stuart Finlay hasn't trained all week, which is which has got to be a massive, massive. I mean, we're just starting to get back into it. The same back five every week, goalkeeper back four makes a massive difference to a team. And with Stuart Finlay getting out, Scott Boyd, who I'm by no means a big fan of, even hasn't been is uh, had a virus as well, so didn't train today. So realistically, well for me, I would put either Dicker. But I don't want Dicker because I want Dicker back into midfield three. But realistically, Dicker or Ian Wilson in its centre half. Um, if, if Stuart Finlay can't play, which I, I assume he won't be, which, uh, as I say, has got to be a big miss. But I think that we've got so many players that will hurt Celtic. Um, we've got recruitment towards the end of the window was phenomenal. I think Greg Stewart, again, will be one to look out for. Brophy's firing on all fronts and all. Um, I think. I think going forward we will we'll cause them a lot of problems whether Jordan Jones plays uh, is vital for me a lot of Kelly fans are kind of asking for him to be dropped just now but I think Jones in a game like that you've got to have him there see when you break it uh, the, the pace you can break it in the counter attack so um, I'm looking forward to Sunday and put it as well definitely will be surprised if, if we come away with our three points yeah, I'd have to agree with that. I think, obviously, being a Camarot fan, you're obviously hoping that we can maybe win. But you can look at all the games that Clark has played against Celtic. He hasn't yet to lose. What, one win and two draws? Yeah, that's right. Um, so his record against Rogers down south as well, yeah, Andrew, was brilliant. I know. I think it, his West Brom team's turned over Liverpool a couple of times. So he's definitely got one up in Brendan Rogers in regards to head-to-head. Yeah, I think, I think if we can get... Anything tomorrow will probably be a good result, but I think a win would be is not outside the realms of possibility. I think you'll probably see Dicker going into defence, um, and I think you might even see Byrne coming into the middle of midfield. But um, I hope that he keeps Brophy up front as well, and I'd agree that you have to keep Jones on there. Jones always seems to struggle with the transfer window, and I think it's also he's getting, he's getting two men on him now. 
so it's really up to him to try and solve that problem. Um, you know, that kind of really shows the difference between a good player and the greats. The greats like manage to sort that out when they get you know two men on top of them. So he has to find the space and make that work. And he's probably more likely to get that against Celtic than other teams. Celtic are probably going to think that they've got enough going forward that they can push up. There might be more spaces for uh, Jones to exploit at the back. And Brophy seems to be in fire. Greg Stewart's obviously started what, his last first two games and two goals. So um, probably the Aberdeen supporters are wondering where the hell that player was last season. <laughs> no, I t- totally agree. Um, he's been phenomenal and the two goals were outstanding as well. I, d- I don't even know what, what one I'd say is better at the two goals he scored thus far. Um, but yeah, I definitely looking forward to Sunday. Um I think I would like to see, as Andrew said and as I said earlier on as well, Dicker at centre back. But it just doesn't seem like a kind of thing that Steve Clark would do for some reason. I don't know, it just because uh, it was a it was a McCulloch and Lee Clark tactic that, and it just it doesn't. I, I don't know if I could see um, Clark actually moving him back there, but I hope I hope he does because he'll definitely do a shift. But if he goes back there, obviously going back to three man midfield with Tishbola, Power, and um, obviously Burn as well. If he comes in, who looks to be a decent player. Uh, in regards to Clark's comments today, as Fish touched up on there, uh, obviously hitting the headlines and pressure pressure on the ref, some are saying, but the difference for me is, I mean, I know I'm obviously biased and I think Steve Clark is the best thing since sliced bread, but even that's not a dignified manner because he openly admits how many times do you see managers come out and say, oh, the ref cost is this, the ref cost is that. Clark's come out and said that, but he's... In the same breath, he said, "But we've got a massive decision in our favour as well." No, many times you, uh, no often you hear that. Um, for managers, um, they're always too quick to just blame the refs and that's it, and forget about all the stuff that goes in their favour. And he is right. Sixty percent of our games have been heavily influenced by referees this season. And to repeat the words of Steve Clark, that that's just far too high a number. No, it's it's so true, and I love the fact that he brought in the fact that we uh, basically we got something out of one of those because it gives his argument some credibility exactly but yeah I think um, hopefully now with McKinnis uh, you know going on the same bandwagon as well that maybe something will be done it seems like the SFA don't seem to know the rules and I saw someone on Twitter saying the other day that the rule that partly got changed at the beginning of the season where they produced this ambiguity for um, uh, what was it malice or um, brutality it hasn't actually been changed, so I don't know whether the SFA are getting the wires crossed or whether it was just uh, some duff comment on Twitter. But you know, the fact that they're having to go back to UEFA and ask for clarification on the rules just smacks of incompetence. And I love the fact that Clark last week says, "says Well, I'm not going to call it incompetence or whatever he said." But you know, uh, but, but, <laughs> but it's like basically what he was saying is they're incompetent. <laughs> Aye, it was absolutely brilliant, just a total backhanded. <laughs> it was just that, it was class to see. He's get, it's funny about Steve Clark is because he looks so miserable, but he's actually, I think he's got a really good, dry sense of humour, and a lot of people don't get him, but that was a prime example of that. <clears throat> but uh, obviously, I hope you enjoyed your, your tea there, Callum. So I'll ask you, <clears throat> um, what's your views on Sunday? I think if we see the same Celtic that we've seen. Pretty much since our old firm game, I think Kelly will get something, definitely. Um, I think going forward, Kilmarnock, since uh, Celtic played Rangers, um, Kilmarnock, uh, in terms of going forward, are probably the team they've played that are definitely going to go for it. Um, you saw with St Martin, I think obviously it was 
Kearney's first game um, as a ma- new manager. For me, St Mullen sat far too deep in that game in the second half. But yeah. And then Rosenberg were obviously quite happy to come to, to Parkhead, um, sit in, try and hit them in the counter, but weren't overly bothered about really pushing Celtic. I think Kilmarnock could be the first team um, in a few games, to be fair. Um, they will probably go at Celtic and give them problems. Um, and we saw the problems that Kilmarnock can cause Celtic last season. Um, there's that, but, and I think you've got a Kilmarnock team with... Um, a bit of a chip on their shoulder. Um, obviously, Steve Clark's not happy with the situation with the referees. I don't think the players were happy with the situation with the penalty for Hibs last week either. I think yeah. Kilmarnock were well within their rights to get a point out of that game. So they'll be coming into the game thinking, you know, they'll have looked at the Celtic results going, well, they, you know, they're, they're in no great shapes. Shakes, rather, I should say. Um, and, you know, they'll feel as if they should have more points than they do. So I think it'll be a good game. Um, I'm not, I don't want to go out on a limb and say it's Celtic, eh, sorry, that Kilmarnock will win the game. But I definitely think Kilmarnock will, will take something from the game. Um, and I think you're probably looking at that one potentially being the game of the weekend, I would say, if you just look at the kind of other fixtures across the board. Um, I'll ask you then both to stick your neck out um, and give us a prediction. Snowman can go first. I think, I think it'll be one-one. Like I'd, I'd love to say we're going to you know go out there and beat Celtic one or two nothing, but there's always the fear that Celtic will turn it on and really produce some you know slick passing football. But really, I'd love to see his win and Hearts to win and put eight points clear just to see um, Pat Bonner's head explode. But other than that, I think it'll be one-one. So. Funny you talk about passing football there, uh, Snowman. Remember, it's it's impossible to play football at Rugby Park, according to, to certain managers. So, so clearly we'll, we'll only see that for Brendan Rodgers on in, in Sunday. But I think I, I, I think we'll do it. I, I generally do. I think, I think we'll win to none on Sunday. Um, I know I'm setting myself up here for an almighty fall, but I do. I, I just think that everyone's going right. I think that Clark always... He's just always he knows exactly what he's doing every time he plays old form. Um and his tactics are usually always spot on, so I think he'll have them well up for it. And the difference for me is seeing years gone past and beginning this game going, Hey, if we play really well here by the way, we could get something for Celtic they're struggling. I, I, I'm honestly expecting us to get something Sunday I really am opposed to thinking oh, if, if we're at this and that I, I generally think we'll compete with Celtic and, and we'll definitely get something and and as I've said I think, I think it'll be 2-0 Kilmarnock but I can't wait to get absolutely ripped ripped to shreds in the podcast on Sunday <laughs> night here after after Celtic beat us 3-0 at Rugby Park <laughs> but uh, 2-0 Kelly and a Greg Stewart double interesting uh, right so We'll move on then from uh, Rangers Celtic, Kelly and St Johnston. Um, we'll go to the league leaders then, will we? Uh, Hearts playing Livingston um, at Tynecastle. Hearts, of course, are five points clear at the top of the table at the moment. Um, they're actually on a 12-match unbeaten run over Livingston, uh, a run that started in October 2002. Um, that doesn't really mean much, though, when the last clash was uh, 12 and a half years ago. Um <laughs> And they've got probably one of the most informed, well, definitely one of the most informed players in the country. Uh, sorry to break your heart, Casey, uh, and Snowman as well. Stephen A. Smith obviously scored uh, 
five goals and five appearances this season. Um, but Livingston, you know, sitting third, ten points, certainly uh, looked to have improved since Gary Holtz came in. Um, how do we see this one going? Me personally, I think Hearts will win, and I think Hearts will win quite comfortably. Yeah, I, I see. I'm with you in that one. I think that. Livy have done extremely well this season and again I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll tip my hat to them once again I said I kind of laughed and thought there were certainties to get in I definitely don't think that now they're t- dog fight their way out that I can't, I can't see them definitely finishing at the foot of the table and they've had a one, they've had a brilliant start. Obviously, they're unbeaten. Forgot a Celtic Park at first game of the season. So, but I, I do see it come to an end. Uh, unfortunately, tomorrow <laughs> against Hearts, um, and I think, I, and I, I we you official there. I think Hearts will maybe win two or three nothing. I think it'll be a tight, tight game, uh, up until Hearts break the deadlock, and then I can maybe just see them kind of killing the game off and uh, uh, Smith Naismith had a really good record scoring against Livingston whilst it was Commanders. Can I think I think that will continue tomorrow as well. So I can't see too many problems for Hearts and, and they'll keep going. But let's say this uh, league one in Hearts partner. <laughs> Once they get through the first round of fixtures and they're still in a position like this, then I fair enough. But I think it's too early to know that everybody everybody seems to be getting a bit a bit carried away and drawing all these parallels between the the team that. Bottled it against Dundee, and when was it? Was it nineteen eighty six? I think it was. Uh, and also when uh, Burley gets sacked after having on top of the league after ten games or whatever. So we'll, we'll see what's what. But if if, if Hearts get through the their first one, the fixtures and they're still in the first one or two places, then I. But we'll see what's what. Yeah, not to get too sidetracked, but I think if Hearts are going to have any chance, they really need to rack up the points before Christmas. Before, like Rangers and Celtic don't have as many European games, I think they have to try and you know rack up to 10, 12 points ahead, but we'll wait and see if that happens. But um, I think on Saturday, I think Hearts will probably ship fest their way to like a 1 0 win. I don't think it'll be, <laughs> I, I don't think it'll be a pretty exciting game. I think it'll be a bit of a stodgy affair with the Hearts probably nicking one with uh, Iki Pezu scoring one. I can imagine seeing him muscling his way in and nicking one or something like that. I don't see it being like you know three or four nothing or anything like that, but we'll guess we'll find out. Good player, actually. I've been quite impressed with him uh, so far since he's come in. Uh, I don't think it'll be a classic, but I do think Hearts will maybe win 2-0 or something like that. Uh, yeah. and I, th- I think Naismith will probably find the back of the net again. Uh, so we'll move on for that one then. We'll go to last year's runners-up. Uh, Aberdeen, they're playing Motherwell at Pataudry on Saturday. Uh, Motherwell have won just one of their last seven trips to Pataudry. The last... Um, the last time they visit, sorry, the last visit, my mistake. Um, the last time they won a game, if I can actually get the words out, at Pataudry, where it was only in November 2017, so it's not the worst uh, it runs. Um, Aberdeen are three games, obviously, without a win. Uh, that's their longest run without a win um, since October 2015. Um, eighth against ninth, Aberdeen on six points, Motherwell on four. I don't really know how to call this one Aberdeen have surely got to start getting a bit better soon though yeah you would think it's the uh, of course it's the uh, the Martin McGee derby and it's fitting that <laughs> Martin McGee was, was in the news uh, yesterday or whatever it was when that, that article went up while he was these 
these two giants play each other. Um, Trying to recruit Ed Sheeran to do uh, gigs in Mali or back. <laughs> how or, I don't know, Mumbai how or... pointless was that bit of the article? Just like, oh, hi, hi, Ed Sheeran, but I phoned and couldn't get me anyway. So <laughs> uh, he basically, <laughs> phoned, he phoned up to get Ed Sheeran and uh, he went, aye, I'm not doing it. I've been there, I'm not coming back. <laughs> oh, so, oh, unbelievable. It's but, kind of in keeping with Mark McGee's you know, career. He's been hired to do a job and he's not been able to do the job. So. <laughs> Well, very true, very true. I wonder if he was in the verge of tears after that, like the same way he was at Ibrox after <laughs> after that uh, Scottish Cup game. That is one of the best videos ever, and I would encourage anybody on YouTube to, to search for that tonight. Um, I suppose we could just talk about Mark McGee all day, but I suppose we better kind of st- stick to the Mark McGee derby here instead. <laughs> uh, Aberdeen, after looking promising against Burnley in Europe, haven't really had the best of starts to the season. But it's been a tough start. I think that they're severely lacking firepower up top. We all know Ryan Crombie starts to Stevie May, so I'll not dwell on them too, too much here. Uh, James Wilson at the same for Man United always looked like it was a good signing, but when you actually break it down, the guy's just no played football in the last two years. He's just he's constantly injured, and that's already been apparent at Aberdeen, I think. Um yeah, but I still think that they'll do enough. I, I, I just think that up front, I, I, I just kind of see much of a threat for, for Aberdeen. In regards to like number nine, you know what I mean? No, mm-hmm. like they've still got danger men there, obviously, with Niall McGinn and stuff, So, and which was great, great for him to get his goal last week because um, he didn't really look like the player he was when mm-hmm. he came back. So maybe he's starting to find his feet again and you get now again firing on all fronts. You don't really need a striker to be fair because he's that good. Um, Motherwell, have obviously, grew the season and they were unlucky against Hearts last week. I thought they were kind of, they were very, very unfortunate to to lose that. And they kind of mildly did. And then the hike Hearts were the better team, but Motherwell certainly battered them for the first period of the game. Um I think it's, it's definitely got to be a tight one. Two kind of physical teams as well. Um, but I think Aberdeen will maybe do just enough and I think they'll win 2-1. Yeah, I think it's a really tough one to call, like you say. is <clears throat> Aberdeen just don't seem to be able to score goals. And, you know, I think uh, unless Gary McKay-Stevens, if Motherwell managed to keep him quiet, you know, there's no way Stevie May is actually going to be able to score a goal. And then I know they've got uh, McGinn, but... He hasn't even played that well. I know he scored that yeah, great free kick, and they had a good free kick against us as well. But he hasn't really been playing that well. He didn't play well against Kelly at all. And obviously I only saw the highlights um, from the last game, but he hasn't been playing that well. Aberdeen seem a bit out of sorts. I think they miss... Um, uh, what's his face at the back? Uh, but also... They're expect- McKenna. Yeah, McKenna. But then they're expecting this guy from Man United to come in and like start scoring loads of goals. But he hasn't done that in a while. He hasn't played a lot of games. He's not going to be able to do that. So... And I think Motherwell just looked like they've just been slightly off where they were last year. I think, you know, they look like they're finally starting to get themselves together and I wouldn't be surprised if Motherwell will nick this one 1-0 or 2-1 or something like that. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a game um, that could have... that could... Depending on results elsewhere, uh, mean quite a bit of movement uh, up or down the table, depending on the final score. Um, a game, to be fair, if we're talking about Aberdeen and, and them trying to get back to where they were, a game that could also have a bit of uh, significance on that is uh, Hamilton St. Murn. Um, just for example, uh, Snowman F. Motherwell were to nick the game, um, and then St. Murn were to beat Hamilton in this one. Aberdeen would find themselves in 10th place um, early on in the season. Um, 
Um, that was KC that laughed, not me. Uh, although it would be rather funny. From um, the heights of Gothenburg, man. From the heights of Gothenburg <laughs> to 10th in the Landbrokes Premiership. Nah, we, we all know Aberdeen will kick on, but continue, Fisher. Sorry. Sorry for that. So, I, I was deliberately chuckling. Not to upset Aberdeen fans, just Ryan Crumb, because he seems to think that I've got some, some kind of agenda against Aberdeen, which, which of course I don't. I am absolutely fine with the upsetting Ryan Crombie. That's that's fine on my watch. Uh, that's what my podcasts are going to be all about. Um, so, Hamilton versus St Mern then at the Hope CBD Stadium. That's fairly pish. Um, two teams who we probably say are in positions that we kind of expected them to be in. Hamilton in 11th on 3 points, St Mern in 10th on 4. Obviously St Mern off the back of that 0-0 draw with Celtic. I think that this one will be a draw and I think this may be the worst game of the weekend. <laughs> well, uh, I, I could see exactly how you would think that, Fisher. Uh, I think that it has got it's one each written all over it for me. Uh, I think both teams will score, but they'll not be enough to separate the sides. Again, St. Mern, excellent uh, result against Celtic last week in uh, Kearney's first game. But the sending off again, as it always does with a lot of these kind of teams, and I'm not saying we wouldn't be the same at times. Kind of rabbit in the headlight situation because I'm thinking, oh. We we should now have the impetus to go and attack Celtic, so you don't know you, you don't know whether to ditch your game plan or you go for it, and then more often than not you actually find yourself sitting further and further back. But they were comfortable. But I think that if someone had a wee bit of a goal last week, they could have beat. No, they would have beat Celtic. No, could have they would have beat Celtic. Um, Aki's same old Aki is just always hard to play against. Um. Aye, very hard to play against and I can't really see um, much separating the sides and that's why I reckon it'll be one each. Yeah, I'm not too sure about this one either. I think, I'd like to think St Mernon can win because I'd quite happily have Aki's uh, relegated. But uh, <laughs> that's just my own personal uh, grievances against them. But I think it's more just going to, you know, New Douglas Park and, you know, the, the whole amount of fans they bring to Rugby Park. At least St Mernon always bring a decent crowd with them. But um, I think if Simone have to make this result against Celtic count, they have to really be beating Hamilton. Um, yeah. But the problem is that whenever you think Hamilton are really down and out, they always seem to get that one result out somewhere. So, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to go for 1-0, uh, 2-0 Motherwell, I guess. No, sorry, Simeon. Uh, so rounding off the top flight games we've got Dundee against Hibs at Dens Park um, I mean I guess judging from the start of the season you would think Hibs would just rock up and, and win this one fairly easily although Hibs have always I think as we know got a tendency to kind of throw up freak results where they'll lose or they'll draw a game where you, where you don't expect them to what uh, is it you Dun- call that term again I, I can't really remember I'm not sure, mate. Um, but after uh, Tom's comments about a certain cup final uh, on the last <laughs> pod, I think we'll move on fairly quickly. Thank you. Uh, so Dundee sit bottom of the table with no points and a minus nine goal difference. I've got to be honest, last week when I saw them at Ibrox, um, they weren't great. I did come away with it thinking, and this hurts me because I really like Neil McCann, uh, him being a former Rangers player, and I liked him as a pundit as well. I think it could be a different manager though that, that they might need to get it 
to get the best out of the players because I don't think they're a team that are as bad as they're showing. Um, what do we make of this one then? I think I think I don't know because as I say, Hibs are always they have always got a kind of poor result in them and they, they do have a tendency to drop points where they shouldn't. Um, but Dundee really they aren't they great at all at the moment. Well, for me, I think that despite it all looking all but certain for a Hibernian win, it's just one of those games that surely Dundee cannot lose six in the bounce. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, surely not. So I reckon Dundee will actually get their first point of the season and it's nothing to do with any kind of... This is just a hunch I've got. I just I cannot see... By laws of probability, they surely can't lose six games in a row at the start of the season poor 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 teams can do that but Dundee they've got an, actually a half decent squad there I'm not saying it's a great squad and I'm not saying there's many players I would particularly swap for in my commander side but it's not like they're you know what I mean Dundee are a mm. big club and stuff and and like I, I, I just I, I can't see them losing six in the bounce uh, and, and I think they'll get something I think they've got to if they don't win tomorrow McCann's away he's got to be away because um, as you say you look at it and first it's actually bizarre because I think me and you must be actually the only people in the world to actually take and I like Neil McCann because I actually like him and I don't know why <laughs> I've, I've always liked him as a pundit and stuff um, but I seem to be in the very much the minority with that um, <clears throat> but you've got to look at it and he's just no getting the best out of their players there, whatever it is or no Tom made good points obviously Tom knows the situation a hell of a lot better than me do but he said when he was in at Dens Park like the Everybody was together. The camaraderie was mm-hmm. there. There was no, like, you know, I'm not saying exactly like we can all psychoanalyze players or whatever, but get the feeling you get into a club and you you know with the body language and stuff and, and what the players were acting like, how how well they were going. But the way Tom was saying was as if they were sitting top of the league, and that's not in a disrespectful way. I think that's a good thing. That the players are still believing and they're enjoying the training sessions under McCann and stuff, but. And I, and I feel for McCann because it's the same stuff every week. It's just total individual errors. I mean, you look at that. See, last week at Ibrox, when I think when they're doing 2-0, get a great chance to get back in the game. The guy gets cleaned through. And mm-hmm. it just... It was a, it was Kenny Miller, actually, that played the ball through. It was a brilliant ball. And you're just... Takes a touch too many. Aye, you're just like, hit it. What is he doing? Mm-hmm. And he, he lets the ball run across all the way his body. The, the angle's away. Chances away. Simple things like that, and I never mind Jack Hamilton throwing the ball in the net every other week. I know he didn't <laughs> play last week, but I don't know. I, I feel for them because I don't think they're anywhere near as bad as the league tables make them out to be. But then again, you can't sit after five games with zero points and minus nine goal difference, and there'll no be something wrong there because there's something seriously, seriously wrong. But I think it's a matter of once they get one result, they'll maybe pack up a bit. Uh, mm-hmm. But I'd be very, very worried if I was a Dundee fan. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just uh, sorry just to jump in ahead of you there, uh, Snowman. Just I just wanted to touch on that you that you know uh, what you said about um, obviously Tom mentioning the kind of spirit within the team. Neil McCann said uh, in an interview today um, that the players are all fighting for each other. Um, he's really happy with the attitude. Um, even the players that are low in confidence, they're making up with you know obviously. Um, maybe not everything's coming off uh, in terms of on the ball the passes the touches and things like that but he's really really happy with the work ethic and application so the players are obviously still putting in the effort for him it's just whether they can actually put it into practice on the park 
Yeah, I think I agree with some of what Callum was saying there, and although I'm not a huge fan of Neil McCann, but <laughs> it's it partly is his own fault, it's his inability to find someone who can score goals for the better part of a season <clears> and a half. You know, like all, all these individual mistakes are only happening because they can't put the ball in the net. So when they make an individual mistake, the heads go down because they know that they're just basically incapable of scoring goals. And even when you go back to that first game of the season where they lost, was it 2-1? Like, they had a penalty ah, they had a pe- they had a penalty to make it go 2-1 ahead and they had a couple of great chances to go make it 2-3-1 and they never took it and then obviously the keeper chucked one in the net. So it's like, you just see a lot of games and I don't think Kenny Miller's the answer even though I think he's out now for two games, but... If McCann was going to do something, I don't think they are the worst team. They play some decent stuff and they can create some chances, but if they don't have anyone who's going to put the ball in the back of the net, then they're always going to be susceptible to an individual error, you know, losing them the points. And no, you're, you're spot on, because as I say, and I totally agree, they're never rectifying their problems. It's the same mistakes. We could be doing this podcast 12 months ago. Or 12 months into the future, if McCann was still there, and we'd still be talking about the same things, put it that way. So, no, it is, it's totally no McCann's fault, but I just, and as you say, inability to sign a striker, because that's the thing about it, they create chances every single game. Like they, they play good stuff. I know Tom said that was a myth, Tom knows more about it than me, but any time I've seen Dundee, I've actually been relatively impressed with them, but they just they never, ever score goals. Um and as as Snowman says, they just the, the, the problems are never getting rectified, and it's just it's the same same errors week in week out, the same chances missed, and there's something seriously wrong. Yeah, I think someone said Dundee had the sixth largest bug budget in the SPFL, and I think they paid money for a goalkeeper who's like going to turn into the reserve goalkeeper. But it's like, why are you not spending money on someone who can put the ball in the back of the net? They knew this was an issue last year, and they don't seem they actually haven't resolved it. So I don't know. I think. I just can't see Hibs losing the game. Maybe a draw, because they have been a bit shaky away from home, but I could see them winning it 2-1, 3-1 or something like that. Yeah, well, I mean, a stat that can give Dundee and Dundee fans a bit of hope. Hibs are winless in their last seven away league games. Their worst such run in the Scottish Premiership since May 2014, which was nine games. So they get relegated as well. Aye, I know. So, um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of on the fence with that one. I can see it going uh, either way. Um, so, that is the Premiership done and dusted. So, we'll move to the lower leagues. We'll begin with the Championship. I'll go through the games and um, I'll, if anybody's got anything to add, just uh, just shout out. Um, so, we've got Alawa versus Air. Obviously, Ayr, um doing really, really well so far this season. They're on 10 points after five games. Phenomenal um, comeback last week. Aye, yep, indeed. Uh, beat Falkirk 3-2 after being 2-0 down. Um, although I think anybody can beat Falkirk at the minute. Uh, <laughs> who are <laughs> uh, rooted to the bottom of the championship table. But uh, Ayr's opponents, Alawa, are sitting in ninth place um, on three points. It's like interchangeable between Alawa and Dumbarton. Uh, for the championship team in ninth, there's always one team that's kind of worse off uh, <laughs> than them. Um, so, Ayr, I would probably imagine, will we'll continue their good form uh, and win that one. Um, next game after that is the aforementioned Falkirk there at home to Dundee United. Any thoughts on this one? Potentially, they're probably the, the biggest in terms of name value um, game in the championship. Yeah, obviously, it's got that extra wee bit of... 
spice to it. <coughs> Not as much spice as Falkirk v Morton, which will come up later uh, on this season, but obviously with Ray McKinnon, uh, obviously formerly been the United manager, it should be quite interesting. And I can see it being Falkirk's first victory this season. Uh, I think that McKinnon and Darren Taylor will do a good job at Falkirk. Listen, it's never got to be easy. This is a Falkirk's board fault, by the way, because don't sack a manager, don't let a manager bring in 17 players and sack him and then give somebody else mm. a job to, to get them out of that rut. But it has got to take time. But I, I can, despite them conceding three goals last week after being up 2 0, there's surely got to be enough positives in that game uh, to, to burn that position against the, against the right good area United side up 2 0. And I think it's just a case of obviously heads going down and stuff, but I, I, I fancy uh, Falkirk to beat them the United tomorrow. Again, I just think, just with, with all the kind of background story with McKinnon and United, and I, I think they will do it, and it'll be, it'll be a right scrappy game, but, but I think Falkirk will come out on top. And again, similar to Madden D, ridiculous hunch, surely they can't always six games in the bounce, just one of that. Obviously, <laughs> it happens, of course, it happens, but. Uh, missed that Callum can't see it happening this weekend so nah I, I'm up for uh, I reckon Falkirk will, will do the business yeah I, th- I think they'll win as well yeah uh, well that would be that would be that would be nice that would be a nice start to the weekend if uh, Dundee United were to lose again um, <laughs> uh, game after that we've got Morton versus Dunfermline um, Ross County versus Inverness top of the table clash um County on 10 points in second Inverness and first and 11th Highland Derby there uh, any thoughts on this one? Well for, b- both for the example well, we start off with Dun- the Dunfermline game uh, massive match obviously Johansson and at Morton in Eitzel man tells before that Houston's oh, yeah, assistant, assistant manager now um, uh, Morton which is a brilliant number two uh, for Jonathan Johansson to, to learn off of that will be a good game I think that will be a good game. Uh, Dunfermline have to get a win here. Uh, I tipped them at the start of the season to win the league, and <laughs> even more. So, I, I know, I know, unbelievable. Tipped them at the start of the season to win the league. I thought their transfer business was phenomenal. It, it, the uh, transfer business was really good, but then you forget who their manager is. Uh, exactly, exactly. I was trying to give him as much credit as possible in thinking maybe I was a bit harsh and Alan Johnson turned out I wasn't. And now I've got extra reason to want them to do well given that obviously big big Robbie's there and all. So it's they've got to get a win for somewhere, but Morton, great start, obviously all the stuff with McKinnon and that. Johansson, who I'm quite excited to see how he gets on. I don't know, I just but I, I don't know what your thoughts are, Fisher we been Obviously, Rangers assistant manager and first team coach and stuff. So, and then he learn off a guy like Houston. I think that's it's a brilliant, brilliant combination. Uh, I mean, for the in terms of the, the championship, it is a good combination. Obviously, Johansson fairly inexperienced in terms of being, or he has inexperienced in terms of being a manager. He's only really managed the youth level um, before, and, and Peter Houston, who, who knows that division fairly well. Um, and and was a decent manager for was more than decent manager. Let's be fair. Ah, for Falkirk, um, I Rangers perspective in Johansson. He came in, he did a job. Obviously, difficult circumstances working with Kishinya and then working with Graham Murty. The less said about Graham Murty by me, the better. I want the podcast to continue. Um, 
Johansson's kind of the one that's credited with finding Alfredo Morelos, so he's obviously got an eye for a player. Um, I'm just going to move on quickly before anybody starts to get wide. Um, <laughs> but I, I think, uh, yeah, I, I think he'll do he'll do quite well. I, I hope he does well. Anyway, it seems like a good fit at a club where obviously, unless he, he absolutely tanks, I think he'll be given time. Um, and they've got a decent enough squad of players there for the for the league, um, as well. And I mean, they're, they're sitting eighth. You know, they're joint. Both fifth and sixth, um, with with Dundee United and Queen of the South, um, and only three points off the top of the league. So you know, uh, a couple of wins and some momentum, and you never know. But obviously, hopefully, he does well. Um, the game rounding off the championship uh, is Partick Thistle versus Queen of the South. Um, kind of news around this one: Suleiman Koulibaly, obviously a man, uh, both in both of your hearts, I would imagine. Um, Egyptian FA refused to grant international clearance basically for his move um, and so it's all a bit up in the air at the moment Thistle saying uh, the club remains hopeful that a positive outcome will be achieved um, and will continue to update supporters on the process as and when there is any progression um, so Suleiman Kilabali is kind of just hanging about Mary Hill in hopes of a kickabout it would appear Yeah, I'm no surprised that I, I, I just You'd think Thistle would have done their homework before signing them. You'd think mm. before signing them they'd have all this wrapped up. I called it at the start. I'm like, this this isn't happening because... Well, no, when he was training, I said, this has never got to happen because he's sanctioned for FIFA and all that. And then um, and then they did sign him and I goes, what the hell is going on there? And then mm-hmm. obviously all this has come out. So, no, it's very unprofessional. I will. I'm not going to say amateurish, but it's very unprofessional from part of this uh, in the way they've handled that. See, I don't um, know about that. If like I was reading an article about it this week, and they were saying that uh, Party are actually one of the sponsors, the uh, employment lawyers, and um, right. I think recently they managed to get clearance for some guy that they basically had for six months trying to get him clearance. So I think it might take them some time, and I think their argument's going to be is you can't if you don't let him work, then that kind of goes against the EU employment laws. So therefore, like it's kind of going back to Bosman. I know he came from the African uh, club, but if he's working over here and they don't let him work, then that kind of goes against some of the employment laws in the EU. So it depends on how they manage to work it, because there's no way that if, if he has to pay back the fine to Al Ali, then at some point he's going to be able, have to be allowed to work to make the money. Because what they're going to say, he can't play, uh, do any work over here or play for any cl- club. So I don't know, like if they if they actually have employment lawyers behind them as one of their sponsors, maybe they have some end game in this. Personally, I'd love to see Koulibaly play again. I think he was a great guy, and I was, but like with you, Calm, I was very surprised when they said that. You know, when I, before I read that article, I was like with you, I was like, this is just what they're doing. But it seems like there's maybe some uh, actual plan and some end game behind this and how they're going to get uh, this through. Well, no, I, I hope I hope for his sake that it does it does work out, but I just. What I meant was, I don't doubt that they've got to take it serious now, and as you say, they've got the sports lawyers in and stuff, but just, you'd, it, you knew the baggage there, so you'd think before you signed them, all this would have been sorted out initially. That's, I don't think that's they could do, though. I think they had to sign them first before they could make the, the, uh, the, the moves. I think that was part of the way the process had to work. They had to officially offer them the contract before they could even start negotiating with Al Ali in Egypt, so I don't think they could have sorted it out beforehand. Alright, well, fair enough then. 
So basically, it's an absolute shambles of a situation. Um, that's what to take from that one. Uh, moving on to League One and League Two, as I say, I'll rattle through the fixtures for for these games. Um, and again, if you've got anything to to contribute, give me a shout. Um, Ir- <coughs> excuse me, that was a good start, wasn't it? Uh, uh are playing Dumbarton. You've got Forfar versus Brecon. Uh, Wraith uh, against Montrose Wraith, obviously second in the league with 12 points, two points off top of the table. Are both who are away at Stenhouse Muir, and then you've got Stranraer against East Fife. I think with uh, with Stranraer, it'll be interesting to see how Ennis Cameron get on. Obviously, the Kelly connection there, him being a Kelly player on loan there, and scored on his debut last week. So, <clears throat> I think a lot of people are seeing him as the uh, natural progress uh, replacement for Boyd eventually. It'll be interesting to see how. Well, um, I was delighted when I seen that he was going out loan because I was buzzing for him to get some first team football and actually test himself. So obviously, he made his debut under McCulloch uh, coming up nearly no, no, under Lee Clark actually, I think almost two years ago now. Um, and obviously, he only kind of made a handful of appearances since then, even after that, uh, coming off the bench. So it's great to see him at first team football. He's obviously banging out, he was banging goals for the under 20s and reserves. Big thing about him is he's a big, big lad. He's He's massive, which is good because I'm not you, realistically again. I really am starting to sound like a dinosaur on this podcast, but uh, <laughs> but he's given himself a hell of a chance. I mean, if you're physically look, look at the amount of players that come through who are tidy on the ball and stuff, but they just they just I mean look, look at Frizzell. I don't want to write him off the now. I think Frizzell's a cracking wee player, but it's just never with his physique and that and I don't even like using that but just managers don't like him because of that and he never gets gets a proper chance I think Ennis Cameron coming in being a big boy in that will really do well I mean look at Tierney Celtic look at how physically fit and strong he is and I think that makes a big difference and I think Ennis Cameron if he plays it week in week out then there he'll, he'll score goals Cool. Uh, so moving on to League Two, uh, we've got Clyde against Elgin, Cowden Beath uh, taking on Albion Rovers, Peterhead against Berwick, uh, Queens Park managerless Queens Park, uh, Gus McPherson uh, during the week leaving St Martin to re- uh, sorry leaving St Martin, leaving Queens Park to return to St Martin as technical director uh, to work with the new manager there. Um, Queen's Park they're at home to Edinburgh City and then we've got Sterling against Annan Athletic it is, quite, it is nice to see to Edinburgh doing well this year it's, I quite like to see some of the teams coming up from like you know the Lowland League through the pyramids and actually see them yeah. starting to do well and it looks like this season they might actually make a push for the playoffs because the last couple of years they kind of struggled yeah, I mean, top of the league with 15 points for six games, uh, two ahead of Peterhead, who are in second with 13. Uh, I agree with you, obviously, it's good that with teams coming up, um, you know, it'll be good for them to see a team that obviously has joined the leagues recently um, coming up and starting to progress because it's better than obviously just having those teams there as just, you know, to be there for a couple of seasons and yeah. then get, I kind of up for a couple of seasons, do okay, get humped, go back down and then never really heard of again so um, fingers crossed Edinburgh City uh, can keep that up um, moving on from League 2 it's also the first round of the Scottish Cup um, that starts um, this weekend the first game um, is actually tonight Inverurie Locos are playing Fraserburgh I don't know what the score is somebody you can you can check for yourselves 
um, with a podcast, we're not sports sound. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, so it's the start of that there. Um, one that sticks out for me just because it's Johnny Clark's team, Forest Mechanics, uh, against Civil Service. Um, that's about the only game that caught my eye. I don't know if either of you have looked at this or have taken the time to look at this. Uh, well, obviously, uh, Talbot playing away to work has got to be <laughs> got to yeah, be interesting a, one. A, a dodgy one and I'm pretty sure our uh, I thought Harold Bees Juniors as well for local perspective playing there as well so it's, it's not been it's not been good trips for the, the Ayrshire boys heading heading up north all the time but um, mm-hmm. and obviously you've always got your, your loyals in there like Bonnie Rig Rose and stuff who are always a right, right good junior be a star <laughs> always sounds like a chappy I think that'll be a star aye but um, yeah so obviously for me I'm hoping I can let Talbot do the business and, and get into the, the, the next round um, but it's obviously got a very difficult game playing <laughs> playing Wick away from home so uh, we'll see what's what it looks like every area locals are four three up. There we go. Sounds like so a wonderful good. game. Man. <laughs> As a result, uh, uh, sorry, uh, an update on the Scottish Cup first round all the way from America. There, uh, don't say we're not good to you. Um, <laughs> so uh, that kind of concludes the preview section. We've got uh, a few questions. Um, I'm just having a look for them here. I'm trying to figure out which one to start with. Um, so Tom McKinnon has asked if Falkirk named their stadium after Puff or Connor Park um, as we know him or as most people know him um, what would it be called uh, there's been a bit of talk about this in the group chat um, Puff Park seems to be <laughs> the kind of the, the kind of favourite any suggestions for or Connor Park Park as well I've heard um, yeah where the Puff is the stand uh, uh, yeah, that's true. That's not bad. What, what was yeah. that the the strongman said? So where the puff is a stand. The stand where the puff is a stand. <laughs> <laughs> that is quite good actually. Uh, remember they're a bigger club man, despite only having three stands. Uh, great, uh, so, uh, obviously, it, it must be true. <laughs> you can you can take this. Uh, well, it was, that was when uh, Michael Stewart and Graham Spears won it. Uh, yes, and Tom English yes. was involved. And in Tom that, English. So. I think the, uh, not not to go over old ground. I think the thing that really annoyed me about that is every single time Falkirk have had the opportunity to prove that they're a bigger club and come out, they've always failed. Even going, <laughs> oh, even going back all the way to the nineteen thirties when we beat them in the Scottish Cup. You know, like when we've relegated them, we've beat them in semi-finals. We've beaten them like in the last game of the season to stay up in the league. We've beaten them in the Scottish Cup final in '97. We've just always beat them. I think we beat them in the League Cup semi-final as well when we went on to lose to Hibs that one year. So uh, every single yeah. uh, so every single time they've had the opportunity to prove they're a big club, they've failed. So, Kilmarnock FC, owners of Falkirk FC, then. But a name, I like Puff Park, I think that's just that. I think Puff funny. Park's nice and simple. Uh, uh, who else we've got? We've got Ryan Crombie. Um, is a, this is, we're getting a bit political with this one. Is a no-deal Brexit worrying for clubs who shop in the European market? Oh, my God. Somebody else can answer this one. Well, there was actually an article, I think, on the BBC website today. Um, linking into that. Yeah. I can tell you. SPFL and Premier League seek Brexit exemption for EU signings. Um, I don't see how that's going to work. 
You know, no, it can't you, work. It, it cannot you know, work. You're going to have the medical community and all other types of different, you know, professions saying that they need an exemption for Brexit. So um, there's no way they're just going to let football get away with it, and then doctors and you know nurses from EU countries can't come mm-hmm. over to work over here. It's just, it's, I just can't see it happening. In some ways, it might be good. It'll force the other teams to play, you know, their their local British players. So um, I don't know. We'll see. It's. See, I don't know. I mean, there's. I mean, what would happen? Would, would there be a, obviously? I'm asking the wrong questions here because we don't know the answers. But when it, if if and when Brexit does happen, they got to go to a quota or whatever. Like you, you know, obviously, for example, like I don't know. Like, well, maybe well, Snowman will know more. I mean, surely an American side can of just uh, a team in the MLS just can of field like eleven foreigners. That's. Is is that permitted or what? No, I think there is a quota over here, but I think part of that's covered by EU law. Law, I think that's why the quota system was struck down uh, years ago, was because they were limiting uh, people's employment. But part of the, so what will happen is if Brexit does actually happen and we can't get uh, someone from France or Belgium or whatever, it will go back to the way things are now for us trying to bring in players from other countries outside the EU. So you'd have to basically prove that they would add some value, and I think that's kind of going to show they've played for their national team or something like that. So it could definitely, mm-hmm. I think some of the players could still come in, but you know we, we can bring in a player from Holland this day. That I think if you want to do it from going forward, it would you'd have to take months of negotiations to get it sorted and to get a visa in place. So bit, bit of a, uh, going by that then, it would be difficult for kind of clubs that don't have a lot of money that are maybe shopping for free agents to bring players in, you know, from, for example, Holland or things like that that haven't represented their country and things like that. Um, just going on football manager experience and folk that do have football manager will know that uh, Brexit does eventually happen in the game. It is a complete pain in the arse to try and sign players uh, once that goes through. Uh, moving on from that, Lewis Kemp asks, who will get the Wraith job? Um well, obviously, there's a, a few managers in the frame for it. I think Jim Duffy's the kind of favourite just now, and obviously Barry Robson was linked to it as well. I think he's pulled himself out of the running. Oh, no, or Wraith didn't add him into the final shortlist or something. But I think you've got Jim Goodwin who's linked to it as well, but I can't really mm-hmm. see him leaving Iowa um, to go there. And I think Danny Lennon's linked to it, but I can't see Danny Lennon leaving Clyde to go there either. I think that he could build something quite good there and eventually get... Clyde out of that tier of football which we've been I think I've tipped Clyde to win the league there every year for the last four or five years or something but um, so I, th- I think Jim Duffy would be an absolute class appointment to be fair uh, if I was a Rangers yeah. fan I mean and obviously I think Lee Clark was linked to it as well so I think that, that would be quite funny if, if he was to go there uh, and then leave them for uh, Kidderminster or something next year and then come back and take the Peter Head job and then leave them for walking and so on <laughs> the cycle continues um, but nah Jim Duffy if I was a race fan that's, that's what I'd be wanting yeah I think Jim Duffy definitely has to be it but I'd love to see a Lee Clark come back with uh, Gary Locke as the assistant that would just be brilliant <laughs> oh god that, that would be that, well that would be a, a recipe for disaster having having Gary Locke there again uh, maybe he'll actually complete the job this time and get them relegated himself <laughs> well, you know, I just need to work harder. <laughs> we uh, we may we may touch 
we may uh, cover Gary Locke again uh, in a moment once oh. I get the, the, the football questions out of the way um, so that folk know when to turn off. Um, so Stephen Ritchie asks, was watching Sandhausen versus SC Cohn, sorry Johnny if I've not said those names right, uh, can't help but notice how good the atmosphere was, uh, German second tier, full stadium and fans allowed a beer during the game, I'd love this to be introduced in Scotland, thoughts? Uh, unfortunately, due to the Twisted Sisters and uh, the two cheeks of the same arse, you're never ever going to have uh, beer and go hand in hand with Scottish football with the horrible <coughs> behaviour of Rangers and Celtic. So we should just put that put that to bed. I think that I think ticket prices are good in Germany, but I don't think they're actually as good as people make them out to be. As good and it's a good product you're paying for, but think about it. Fisher, see when we were there, it, mm-hmm. it wasn't like it was worth it. But we were still paying like twenty five quid, well twenty five yeah. euros or whatever a ticket, which is value for money. Like I'm no denying that, but it's this myth that oh you can watch Bayern for a tenner but pay twenty six pound to see Celtic play Kilmarnock at Rugby Park. Listen, these tickets that are a tenner at Bayern are like 1% of the stadium or something like that like no chance of getting them because um, mm-hmm. there are ticket brackets under that I think the the German model has run incredibly well but look at how big a country Germany is and stuff and how well supported and I'm not actually I'm no doubt you don't get glory hunters but it's a place where well, jo- well Johnny will probably be spinning in his proverbial graveyard even though he's not <laughs> dead but maybe I'm talking absolutely garbage about German football but it seems to be the kind of place that if you're in Stuttgart, everybody's got to support Stuttgart. That just doesn't exist over here because they, 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 what have they, you know, you get glory hunters everywhere, you'll have Bayern fans there and that. But I just, you can't, I don't know if you can have the German model here. I would like it to happen, but I don't think you've got the fans to back it up. Because uh, I think Scotland's still one of the best supported countries per head of population um, in, in Europe. And you're never ever going to get the crowds that we had years ago I don't know, maybe I'm talking I've been extremely pessimistic and I don't know why because I'd love to see it but I just can't see um, you know, back to the days of Kilmarnock getting 8,000-9,000 at every game and St Johnson and stuff getting the same so who knows but I'm interested to hear the snowman's opinion because obviously that was when he grew up at Kilmarnock that's what it was like I think part of that was, you kind of saw how when Hibs came back up, they had that whole drive and the fans behind them. That's what it was like when Kilmarnock came up with Tommy Burns. So when we came up and we had like the town behind us, because we were in the doldrums for so long, it really was like that natural movement to have like seven, 8,000 at every single game. And even like, I remember watching Kilmarnock play Hibs on a Thursday night, 4-2, and when Alex Totten's last game, and I think it was like over 11,000 there that night. So... I wouldn't say it could never happen, but I think for someone like that to have, you'd have Clark to stay there for a while and maybe us get into Europe and win a cup or something like that. But I think that's very localised and I think that's the way it would probably be with individual clubs. It would be the individual circumstances. Uh, there's too many other options out there for entertainment now for you know just a huge influx of fans into Scottish football. And I think there's an argument to be made that we have too many clubs in the country, um, you know, especially professional clubs anyway. So, um, But as for the alcohol... Well, not, not merging, but like making the professional league shorter and then just making everything after that, you know, still part of the pyramid, but not maybe professional. But um, I think for money as well, like for the alcohol, I don't see why we can't do it. You know, you, they already tier the, the games by the level of risk, don't they? So to do with Stewarton, so why should Kilmarnock versus Partick Thistle or Ross County or Hamilton, you're not able to have a beer at the game? 
you know, even say the same at Ibrox, if Rangers are playing uh, Hamilton, surely they should be able to have a game there. You can have a game at a rugby game. You can have a, so you can have a beer at a rugby game. You can have a beer at a sporting event. It was quite funny when I was up there. I had a bunch of my English cousins come up for my mum and dad's wedding anniversary, and um, they were all like, "Oh, we're going to go and get a beer." And I was like, "No, nah, you can't get one." And they were just dumbfounded by that. Like, why can you not get one? Now, don't get me wrong. I went to an Orlando City game over here and paid ten dollars for a pint of sh- crappy Budweiser. So it's not exactly it's all it's all crapped up to be. But at the same time, like you know, I'm a grown adult. If I want to have a beer at the football game, I should be allowed to have a beer at a football game if I'm not hurting anyone. And just because of Rangers and Celtic 30 years ago doesn't mean that we shouldn't be able to look at the laws again and at least trial it. Maybe say, okay, for the Betfred Cup, we're going to try this out. Because at that game, you're not going to really have Rangers and Celtic involved. You're going to be all the smaller clubs. We can trial this stuff out, see how it goes and take it in baby steps. But I remember last year listening to some guy on Sportsound, I think it was some cop, and he was just doing my nothing. He was talking like we had made zero progress in the last 20 years. And, and he was just... There's, there's a way, this is not something that's beyond the kind of man to sort out. Yeah, uh, it's just it's just one of those things, you know, when you've still got supporters getting locked up for singing, the the idea of trying to implement a model where fans can have a beer, you know, yeah. reasonably, pli- reason, reasonably priced uh, beer, plus, you know, food to the football, safe standing, there's a long, long way to go. Um, I think I think there was a tweet I saw what it was to do with the Hamden thing and the Stuttgart model and it was thing if like if we're gonna take one thing from German football can it be like that we don't treat football fans as criminals uh, to begin with uh, which I think would be would be a good start I think it's a bit of a pipe dream to be honest unfortunately um, having beer introduced to the game but certainly the schemes like safe standing and things like that hopefully uh, we start to see more of uh, in the near future um, I will rattle through the next couple of questions um, just because um, we've been on for quite a while now lads uh, I think we've gone over uh, what we plan to do um, Tom McKinnon, in with another question, he asks, what keeps you up at night? Uh, Snowman, you've already fired back with Gary Lott returning to Rugby Park. Um, <laughs> so, Casey, I'll give you this one. Um, people sleeping in the streets. Very uh, diplomatic of you. Uh, I'm going to say uh, Manic Street Preacher songs because they keep getting played at my work and they are fucking awful. I don't know how anybody likes them. Uh, Most but overrated band ever. Oh, God, they are awful, mate. I just... It, like, see if I hear the chorus. For this, we can't talk about whatever it is he says. I, I might hurt somebody. The worst band of all time, comfortably. Um... <laughs> Uh, your pal and friend of the show, Robbie Muirhead, Casey asks, "What uh, or sorry, who does Kelly Cow actually support?" Ah, <laughs> uh, here we go again. Here we go. Uh, as everybody knows, I am a Kowalnik supporter, and that is all I am. And a conservative. Um, <laughs> uh, the question just... is, who does he really support? He's got a few. Uh, he's got a few. Um, Sympathies elsewhere, I think, as well. Nobody really knows who his actual team is. Sounds like Johnny Clark. Um, no, no, not to that extreme. Come on, come on. Um, so, we've got two questions actually that me and Tom did answer on the previous pod, but due to the audio quality, they had to get wiped. Um, so, the first one is um, because the last one's a cracker, lads. Um, is Dundee as good a city as Glasgow slash Edinburgh? Absolutely um, not. They're not a chance. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to say Edinburgh's not even as good a city as Glasgow so uh, I I think comfortably Glasgow wins out on that one Uh, Dundee uh, I mean 
not to go all kind of Lummy Vine type stereotypical re- Twitter reaction, but the accent is fairly horrid, um, as as you can hear whenever Tom speaks on the pod. So, uh, obviously, sorry, there's actually these. This this last question is actually two questions into one. It's a bit of a weird one. Your favourite Primal Scream songs, right? Uh, and then your favourite Little Mix songs as well. Uh, Primal Scream, Swastika Eyes is quite a good song. I said that uh, actually in the last recording. Purely because it's uh, influencing the greatest film ever made, which is a football factory, of course. So it's, uh, it's quite good in that. And unfortunately, I have no favourite Little Mix songs. I don't even think I could name one. So I'm to sing that Black Heart song or something. <laughs> Black Magic Death. <laughs> uh, who knows, man? Who knows? But nah. No, no Little Mix songs and Primal Scream would be Swatch the Guys. Snowman? Uh, probably moving on up for Primal Scream and as for the other band, I've never listened to any of their songs. No. They are not a band, band. Snowman. They're <coughs> a girl group. Aye, that's one thing to call them. Decent on the eyes, fairly shite in the ears. I think that sums him up quite well. Uh, and Bobby Gillespie's a bit of a wanker. So, um, that uh, that's rounds off the first spot podcast. I suppose we'll call it a preview podcast um, for this episode. Um, I'd like to thank my guests, uh, Mr. Andrew McGregor. No worries, thank you very much for having me on. No problem, pleasure to have you on. Hopefully have you on more in the future. And um, the man from Comarmuk, KC, Kelly Cow, good to have you on again, my friend. Uh, it was great to be back. <laughs>